Hi everyone, I'm Claire Liu and I'm the CEO of Know Your Team and today I have got a brilliant guest on The Heartbeat. I have Joel Gascoigne who is the CEO and founder of Buffer, the social media platform tool that hundreds of thousands of people use all over the world including us here at Know Your Team. And Joel is someone who I have really respected and looked up to for not only the tremendous success in building a company that does uh, over 19 million annually in revenue, has 82 employees, is remote first, but just very much in the way you've been, I would say thoughtful and radically transparent in how you've run the company, Joel. And I think folks who know you and who follow Buffer are always uh, pleasantly shocked by that transparency. So excited to open the book even more today and ask you this one question about leadership. Yeah, thanks, Claire. I'm really excited to chat. Um, been following everything you've done for a long time, and these interviews I feel like are super valuable, and all the content that you put out there as well. And yeah, I hear about know your team and and you from people in in my team like all the time as well. Uh, how useful all this information is. So yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Thank you. Awesome. Well, okay, Joel. Here's the question that I've been asking leaders that I admire, and it's, what's one thing you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? Yeah, um, it's a big question. Um, yeah, I feel like, I think, I feel it, I think there's a, there's a, there's a couple of things that come to my mind, mm -hmm. and it feels hard to maybe narrow it down, but I'll start with one, and then we can potentially touch on the well. others. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I think the first one for me um, would probably be that leadership is individual in, in some ways in, in the sense that you can shape it to be the right thing for you that kind of fits like a glove for you. So I, I feel like it's easy to go out there and read about what you should do as a leader, this and this and this. Um, but I think the one key thing that I wish I'd known earlier is maybe to also know that it's important to look in myself and like reflect um, deeply inside and know what is the right style or approach for being a leader, being a manager, for the direction for the company and all those types of things. Um, so I think that's probably the key thing that comes to mind um, with that question. And it's a very delicate thing, right, because there's yes. a lot of things you can improve and there's definitely great information out there. It's just also shaping that to be the right direction for you to go, the right way to improve yourself in order to um, get good results, but also feel really great about where, you know, where you're going and taking things as well. So, Absolutely. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes yeah, total sense. No, I'm over here nodding uh, because um, I think there is such a pervasive undercurrent even in our culture about the archetypes of what a leader is, what they say, how they act, and it's refreshing to hear that you wish that a lot of that doesn't necessarily need to be listened to or paid attention to. So I'm curious, Joel, when did that realization happen for you? Did, was it a conversation? Was it something that happened in the company? Was, has, is it a more recent realization or is it something sort of 
earlier when you were first starting Buffer and building the team out that you noticed? I'd say it was probably, it's probably been come up multiple times and I think it's maybe, you know, a few years into Buffer probably. Um, I've been, for context for people, I've been like um, running Buffer for over eight years now. So it's like over eight years since I started it. Um, I think it's also one of those things for me where maybe it, maybe it's it's related to my own kind of personality or things I know about myself where it's easy for me to, I think like self-confidence is an important thing as a leader as well and having that conviction depending on like what your natural um, leaning is. Like for me, I think I can end up doubting myself um, more than I maybe should and so I think that's where there's been times along the way. I think generally with Buffer, we've always kind of done things our own way. I guess that's one, one thing people would say about us, um, which I'm proud of. But I think even though people would, from a high level, say that, um, I feel personally for me there's been points where I've still deviated from what is maybe the best path for Buffer that aligns with myself and, and what will be kind of fulfilling for me over time and also like maximize the chance that I can make Buffer success because it aligns with my own life values and philosophies and things. So there's definitely been moments where I feel like I've been a bit off track sure. um, all along the way, probably. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I can totally, again, I'm not nodding my head over here, Joel. I am curious, and I'm sure folks who are listening to this, what have been those off-track moments? Or is there one that maybe comes to mind? Um... Yeah, I think, well, I mean, one is is probably getting, one clear one is, mm-hmm. is getting too much onto the, the growth track of, hmm. of uh, the company, onto the, maybe the VC, like sure. kind of, you know, growing for the pure reason of growing. I think there's a lot out there that says, you know, the definition of a startup is growth or, you know, there's like a lot of these things out there. And I think I just realized for me that doesn't align with me. That doesn't resonate for me. Um, but I think the more you consume and take in and, and read of things, if you start reading too many of those things like that, then it can get in your head and then you can kind of convince yourself that you need to be on that side of, you know, just pushing for that. So that's one example. Um, and I think the thing that helped me get out of it a little bit is mm-hmm. reading reading or watching presentations or, or things from a, a wide range of different types of founders or companies. Mm-hmm. And at least for me, what resonates often is more like the, the non-traditional approaches to building companies. And that's, I felt like, has given me a nice balance so that then I can... I feel like the default is the, the, this very clear track, um, right? And so for me, just to make sure I can seek out and find these other ways of building companies, feels like it gives me this balanced kind of viewpoint that then I can decide, okay, what's the right thing for the buffer? So I mean, maybe that's also another thing that I kind of wish I'd known. It's like yes. that it's great to have conflicting advice, and then mm. because then you, then you have to make your own decision and then you have to look within yourself and really figure out what is the right thing for this company, for the culture, for like personally for yourself Absolutely. Um, as well. I, 
I love that insight as counterintuitive as it is, because when we often as leaders gather expert opinions, it's to either confirm or uh, disavow something in our head that we already are, are leaning towards. And I've noticed this in myself that to your point, it's very easy also to seek out advice that's going to also affirm each other. <laughs> it's yeah, very confusing exactly. when the advice conflicts. You're like, wait, I'm trying to, you know, try to solve the math problem and then yeah. and the elements are It aren't seems like it's there. not helpful. Right. But it really is, I think. Right. Yeah. And so I love this suggestion to actually proactively seek out advice that goes against each other. Um, so I, I, I love that. I think for folks listening, one thing that, um, that they might be curious about, I, I'm curious um, about, is the discernment of that advice when, when it conflicts. And, like, and I've had this conversation with, with a lot of different CEOs and founders. When do you, is it always, is the default sort of, right answer to always trust your gut in that situation when when the you know conflicting advice or when the advice conflicts or how do you how do you choose which decision to to make like how do you carve your own yeah. path when you're given all all the options what what is you know what is what do you as Joel sort of how do you sort of map that out for yourself and i know it's very yeah. context dependent like it really depends on the situation that you're faced with but i guess yeah. broadly speaking I think this this is a really good question because I think it almost goes back to my first answer, which yeah. is leadership is individual and yes. in the sense of like what's your style. Because if you're asking me, how yeah. would I exactly figure that out? Um, I I've learned no time for myself that I need to go away and have space to reflect mm. on things. Yes, so I kind of want to go in and hear these conflicting um, pieces of advice from two different people or more different people or mm-hmm. groups of people or whatever it might be, whether it's leadership team or advisors or, you know, different people. And then for me, at least for me personally, um, the state I'm in when I've just heard it is that it's kind of like a, a, a cloudy glass of water. It's just all shaken around. Mm, and yeah. I know I, I personally have to go away and let that settle a little bit, have my own space so I've learned, for me as a leader, that I yes. I really try to avoid making decisions in that moment in a group discussion or things like that, which can be a bit unusual because a lot of um, teams, a lot of companies, I think, will go into a meeting, want to discuss something, and come away with a decision. But for me, if I'm if I'm the one that is making the decision, I'll often um, this took me a while to figure out, but mm-hmm. I I will often now just say. I'm not in the right state of mind to make this call right now. I'm going to go away and think about it. Just overnight, it might be, might not take long. It might take an hour from being away from that, and then Absolutely. send this kind of cloudy glass of water. It all settles, and then have like this clear mind on it. And usually for me, that's when I have the kind of epiphany of like, oh, that's the right thing. Or, um, and I think you know, it can. I don't know if it. I don't. I wouldn't say it always needs to be good. It might even be that mm-hmm. I'll go away and like get a spreadsheet going and try and figure some stuff out sure. or that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and it, it's interesting because um, when so my co-founder left the company mm-hmm. about two years ago. Um, but when we worked together intensely um, in some of the, the the key earlier years of Buffer, um, he is the opposite. 
so he is um, more someone that has their best clarity of thought and ideas and things in the discussion mm. and, they, and he, he wanted he wanted to make that those calls in that moment a lot of time and so yeah. it took us a while to figure out that okay we just have different approaches here and that's fine and we'll find a way to make it work so we ended up starting to have um often like two meetings um instead of one for yes. things so we'll have one bounce ideas around like shake it all up that's great we need to do that and then one and then go away have a have a gap between them then come back and i'll usually when we started doing that mm -hmm. effectively i found that i would often come back with some new idea or, or like kind of connecting dots in different ways and like, oh i've had this new thought or you know we just wouldn't have had otherwise if we just made the call and moved on um so yeah maybe that's an example in itself Definitely. of like kind of need to know yourself a little bit um as a leader maybe you know you might love those heated discussions and, and making the call right there and then absolutely no joel i so i love uh, I, I so appreciate that response because it shows your willingness to even expand that uh, viewpoint of having conflicting advice, even to your approaches, right? You, you like an integrated approach. You like uh, a different approach. You, you liked the fact that your co-founder, okay, had a different way of making decisions more in the moment. You needed to take more some more space. Um, and I think it's so interesting how comfortable you are in having conflicting styles uh, to, to, to be working and coexisting in, in the same space. So I also think, by the way, that um, I personally have found um, that, you know, there's this phrase that uh, muddy water clears when you leave it alone, right? So like yeah. the more you stir it, the foggier that it gets. And I, yeah. I believe mind works similarly around decisions it was. Well, at least for me, it sounds like for your co-founder that wasn't the case. Yeah, maybe not for everyone, um, but certainly for me, or it might be that for him, he needs to clear his mind regularly, like mm -hmm. as a general practice, but in the moment, he uh, maybe he needs to do that regularly in order to be in the good state, you know, for those meetings or, or that kind of thing. But um, yeah, he, he would have some of his best ideas in a very collaborative mm -hmm. um, kind of setting, whereas for me... I would maybe have a great discussion, but over time that would actually kind of drain me. And then yeah. it's when I do then let it sit by, you know, let mm -hmm. myself go away and just uh, reflect uh, by myself that I would have some of the best ideas and right. kind of come after the discussion. So, right. yeah. I also think that your description of your style and your former co-founder style goes to show your point, again, of the individual nature of leadership. So I'm wondering, for you, Joel, what has really influenced your own individual take on leadership? You know, we aren't born into this world without, you know, being completely untouched. Well, all of us, each of us are shaped and influenced by different things. Curious for you, yeah. what's most influenced your, your style of leadership or your views on leadership? Yeah. Um... It's a really good question. I think there's many different um, influences, but it probably is these these companies kind of going their own direction um, and just trying to dig in and read about them. Um, you know, I think Basecamp would be an example of sure. a company like that. Yeah. Mailchimp maybe would be another one. Um, 
And yeah, I think uh, there's also more kind of beyond the, the pure tech sphere. I think there's also companies uh, such as Semco. Mm-hmm, of course. Come across Semco, yeah. Um, so I've read both of Ricardo Semler's books and massively influenced by those. Um, yeah, Zappos, uh, maybe another one. Um, and uh, yeah, recently I've been really getting interested by more cooperative models for mm-hmm. companies or employee ownership models for companies as well. Um, so companies like Organic Valley, which is actually a, a co-op um, uh, in, in the US and then mm-hmm. there's a company called John Lewis in the UK and I'm from the UK so that's one that's been interesting to kind of come back to just in the last year or two um, it's it's a company that has a very um, it's very well regarded it's very respected in the UK and it's been running a, a very long time um, it's, a, it's a big department store but every single uh, employee is technically a partner and actually owns part of the company and then they do a a profit share at the end of each year and they, they're kind of famous for, you know, based on the performance of the year, mm-hmm. they will determine what percentage of salary, um, of each person's salary will be a profit share. And they've been through lots of ups and downs, so they've had some years where it's not been a great outcome. Um, but yeah, they look, just digging into their model has been fascinating as well. They have a lot of the details online. Um, yeah. Totally. I, similarly think that uh, looking at stories of just what's what's been done, there's so many answers and so many sources of, of, of inspiration there. One thing that, as I mentioned in the introduction, Joel, that you are known for and that Buffer is known for is transparency and, you know, revealing, I mean, actually prior to this interview, I found on bare metrics that I could literally look up your annual yeah. run rate and look up, you know, what your yeah. percentage of churn you have every month. And it's yeah. quite unconventional. Uh, well, it's conventional yeah. and unconventional. Because what I will say is I feel like it is extremely trendy these days to say that you are transparent as a leader mm-hmm. and to say that yeah. your company is open. And it's um, become, in my opinion, almost a little cliche. So that's one, I think, arc that we're seeing. Yeah. The other arc that I think we, we see is almost a backlash to that. So, and I'm sure you get this all the time of, that would never work in my company. You know, open book financials is a, is a disaster. Saying what everyone makes in terms of salary. So I just yeah. I really want to dive into, first of all, where does this urge to be so transparent come from? And yeah, let's start there. Like, why do you do it, Joel? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I feel like there must be several different things that have contributed to that sure. in my childhood or whatever it might be. Um, I And it's also, I think it's worth noting that it's one of those things that it's totally possible to do in a small way, and then it's build up and kind of lean further and further into it, and then feel like, wow, this is so great, so we're going to keep going here. So that, I think that, that's happened a little bit, whereas it's not you know necessarily that right off the bat I was thinking eight years ago like this is it's gonna be like this transparent with everything mm, okay. um, but we've we've had so many great uh, outcomes and, and uh, impacts of, of that um, there is one experience I had um, when I was during college university in the UK um, and afterwards I was doing I was kind of in, uh, an intern um, 
doing some work development work for a company, and then afterwards I worked three days a week for them. Mm -hmm. um, I almost was going to work full time, but I was wanting to do my own projects, so I managed to just work three days a week. But I was pretty involved with this company, and um, you know I was working for them, and they were a very small company, maybe 15, 20 people. Um, and in the time I was there, um, they essentially they they went bankrupt. Um, like towards the uh, end of, I was doing contract work, but there was others who were employed. Um, and as things got worse and worse, everyone kind of knew, but nothing was really being shared too much. And this is a 15, 20 person company, and people just didn't know what's the actual situation, what's really going on. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I think um, the, the the owner, the, the the CEO, I guess, like managing director, they're usually called in the UK, um, she, she must have felt like it was better to hold on to that information and take that burden completely on herself. Um, but the, the outcome was just so bad for so many people. Um, a lot of people yeah. went without pay for three to six months and, yeah. and then just got nothing at the end of it. And so that's, that's one key experience that was um, maybe just a year or two before I started Buffer, which mm -hmm. I think definitely had an impact that made me feel like I don't know, I guess I, I reflected on it and thought, well, if everyone knew, maybe we could have all really come together and tried to, right. to make this happen and, and turn it around. Um, but no one even had that chance because no one really was given the full information. So in a way, I think what I've done with Buffer a lot of times um, is just go to the other extreme, which is everyone should have... I've also heard this um, kind of... Uh, this, this uh, phrase or this quote, which is, if you want people to be able to make the same decisions that you would make, then they, they need to have the same information that you have. Um, and, you know, generally going out there, you're trying to bring people into your team that can actually do things better than you. So how on earth can they do that if they don't have the same information? So um, that makes it sound very obvious and easy and clear. And like you say, it's a bit of a cliche maybe um, with transparency. But I think what I'm really talking about is actually following through with that, going all the way and yes. sharing, regularly sharing the bank balance with the team and the all the financial results. And then, you know, we decide to also share a lot of that publicly yes. as well. But it just keeps us accountable, I, I think. And it um, actually, it actually is quite liberating for me. It actually lifts a few things off my shoulders. And I think huh. founders and leaders and CEOs, like, it's, it's stressful enough. Um, I've had some real low points um, on the right. journey, and I think it would have been even harder if uh, I didn't have this transparency. Uh, I think that's probably... Um, it is extremely surprising, I think, for maybe for me to hear that and for other folks to hear that, that you feel your job is easier because you are pulling back and sharing the curtain more. Because to your point, like, you know, the, the managing director that you were mentioning, you know, she didn't want to share the state of the company because of fear, because of, you know, potential ramifications and, and backlash. And it's so interesting and admirable, Joel, and I think it probably says a lot about just you personally, that your own reaction is actually quite different, that it actually relieves a lot of stress for people to, to know uh, 
what you know. I'm yeah, yeah go for it. And it's 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 still yeah, and I wouldn't say it's easy. And I think there's still yeah. times where we've um, <laughs> yeah. fallen short of that a little bit. Sure. But I still come away even in those moments where we go through a really tough patch and we've not. And I come away afterwards thinking maybe I could have shed more. And a lot of times now it's mm. because we've made this commitment, and I feel like I, I really want to stay true to it. Sure. Um, of transparency, but it also I'll sometimes have the reflection thing. It maybe could have been easier, or or not necessarily easier, but a better outcome maybe for mm. the team, for morale, for everything. Um, because even if you get through it, but you've not shared that with your team. And the other thing is, um, one of I got a really great piece of advice from uh, Tony Shea from Zappos um one time, which was um he. he he, was t- he talked about the importance of building resilience in your team. And I think it's an interesting balance of, you know, you want to um, make sure people feel safe and comfortable and everything. But you also, I think it's worthwhile um, including the team and exposing the team to some of the really tough decisions, even if maybe they're not having to make those decisions, but just to transparently share them and make them aware of, okay, there's a big choice going on right now. I think that in itself is an act that can build resilience and help mm. the team be able to handle more um, things that might kind of be thrown our way as a company. Totally. I feel as though the contrarian who's watching this would say, Joel, that's great for your company. And, you know, Tony Shea gave you that advice. That's great for Zappos. But for, for my company, you know, my employees came to, to do a job nine to five. There are some folks who just choose to actually be an employee because they don't want to have to deal with those issues. They don't want to have to think about the possibility of laying off 10 people. They don't want to have to make complex, high-stakes decisions based off what's changing in the market. What would you say to someone who feels as though, you know, they they, they, they like the idea, but the practicality to them is, is yeah. not quite there. What, what's your response to that? Um, I feel like you're, you're treating people as, as kids um, mm. with, with yeah. that view because people have to make these somewhat challenging decisions all the time in their lives, and then we're all coming together as a company. And I think sometimes, especially as a company grows and you have more hierarchy and bureaucracy and things, yeah. you know, you end up really um, splitting off the different roles and having really a lot of specialization and things. It's really easy for things to become siloed and people on one side of the company to not have at all any of the information on the other side or from the top and things. But I think it's it's a way, that, that to me is a way to make yourself feel okay about not sharing more and and I just think actually mm. people can't handle it. Like yeah. they, we're all adults here. We're coming together. Yeah. Um, so I believe that. And I also believe people want it. Um, mm. And it can be hard, but I think that's where the building of resilience comes as well. You can start small. You can grow that and things. Um, but yeah, I, I just think, I also think um, if you would go into any like slightly larger company and speak with someone that's not in the leadership team in some way or something, you know, someone that's in a, in a role in customer service or in engineering or whatever it might be, um, 
I think if you would ask them, you would generally find always find that there's decisions being made and they don't know why. Like they don't they don't yeah. have the context and they're questioning them. And then there's resentment building up in the leadership team. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges as a growing company and we feel that a little bit and now we're we're over eighty people and I think that's gonna be one of our biggest challenges is how do we keep that trust um in the leadership team that what we're doing. So that's I think another kind of fundamental belief I have is that it's sure. really important to regularly communicate the why of decisions. So for me anytime there's a decision being made, my ideal scenario is that anyone can follow that back to like understand why I often think about that the sharing why is more important than sharing what like the direction is important for people to know where we're going but I almost prefer to focus on the why which is like what are all the different pieces of context information data everything that's in my head that's led me to make this decision um, of company direction or a specific decision on level of benefits we provide or compensation or whatever it might be. And um, I think it's really important that people have the, the that actual information in the context there because to me, I, I, the ideal scenario I aim for is that people could actually come to that same decision themselves or at least understand and agree like, okay, this is all the different considerations that have been made and this is the decision that we've landed on. Um, Whereas I think that in a lot of companies, mm-hmm. you have decisions being made all the time or policies put in place and, and passed down that eventually you get so far, so many layers of that, that at some point you have these things going on yes. that uh, people are asking like, why, why is this? And you just, you can't answer it yeah. um, and it gets lost. You know? Absolutely. I think uh, I'm going to make an assumption here actually. I think everyone who's watching this is also nodding their heads going, Joel, yes, totally with you. Like transparency builds trust. Like people need the same information to make decisions. Yes, we shouldn't treat our employees as kids, right? I think people would nod their heads to that. I think people would nod their heads and go, absolutely. We need to communicate the why. We need to show the direction of the team. And so here's the thing. Why don't we do it as leaders then? Why, why is this so hard? And what advice do you have, Joel, to actually put this stuff into, into practice? Because, and I feel this is so true of most, uh, <laughs> most leadership concepts, which is it, it's obvious when you read it or when someone tells you, and yeah. yet when you go to actually implement it, it's so difficult. So talk to me about like practically how, what advice you have for folks who are going, okay, I want, I want to start doing some of those things. What, what tips or, or what thoughts do you have there for me? Yeah, I think, I think it's really hard to do it's so hard it's it it you can hear it in the theoretical sense like we're talking about it now sure when it comes to the practice of it it's it almost goes against human nature it's really hard to <laughs> yeah. do it so i think that's why you have to i don't know i think like how do you do it like how do you remind yourself you know and like hold yourself like you know you, you, you alluded to this accountable I think this might be one of those examples where it's like go slow to go fast. Where I think for me, I feel like I need to be going at just that optimal pace myself with how much I put into my, how much, how much do I cram into my week that I'm doing? I need to have enough space that I can actually reflect on things um, and and think how is, does it feel? Is is the way we're approaching this decision or this communication with the team? Yes. Is it 
right. Um, you, I think you need to build that space for yourself to be able to 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 have the reflection and the realization of like, oh, this is actually going against some of these concepts. And then I think you've got to make the time, which is I think the other thing that's can be really challenging yes. in a company that's growing fast or just has a lot going on. You know, all small companies feel like really they could do with twice as many people as they have or yeah. that kind of thing. And I, and I think it's hard to take the time to do some of these things, take the extra time to, it, it takes, it, it takes more time. It's more work to be transparent because yeah. Yeah. you're sharing all, you're sharing that, you're sharing the data, the numbers, mm -hmm. you've then got to explain the context. You've then, that's, I think it's one of the things I, love about our commitment to transparency is that it forces us to do that. It's not just about, well, now we'll just throw out the, like, salary numbers because, because the fact that we're sharing salary numbers with the whole team mm -hmm. means now we've got to explain our process, our system to come up with salaries, right. everything, all of that context, and it forces us to do that. But all of that takes a lot of time. And I think that's maybe the other key part is hmm. yeah. make time for it and start small. Yes. You don't have to you know, feel really intimidated by the amount that maybe we do a buffer. You can start small and just open up uh, a little bit or, you know, share a bit more of your financial results or numbers or, yeah, uh, whatever it might be. Just kind of look around, look at the things that you're keeping private within one team and uh, within the leadership team especially and think, could you share that? Absolutely. I think, you know, what you're describing about uh, taking the time and carving out that time, it's something that's been echoed by um, Michael Locke, who was the, who's the VP of engineering over at Slack. He talked about, you know, when we had him on the show, don't be busy. You need the time to yeah. watch people observe, have those conversations, and most importantly, to think for, yeah. for yourself. And so I think time yeah. is, is huge. I love your point about starting small. Uh, I think, you know, it's actually, and providing context also around transparency. Um, it's, yeah, it's funny. Another guest we had, uh, Des Trainer, you know, one of the founders mm -hmm. of Intercom, yeah. he, he talked about this too, you know, transparency is on a spectrum and you have to yeah. give context to it. It's not just saying what someone's salary numbers are, but being yeah. defensible, right? And, yeah, exactly. And, and showing to your point, the why, uh, one thing that, um, I think I've found in myself and I'm curious if, if you um, would line up on this or disagree is I also think it requires actually a really strong internal compass and discipline and level of rigor to hold yourself accountable to the things that you say you want your company to do or be like. It's yeah. a deliberate choice here that you're making, Joel, to focus on the why yeah. and to be transparent. And yeah, you, you can I either, like you true. said, you can either easily come up with almost like reverse justifications for being like, oh, you know, we're going to change our mind, or we're, we don't need to go as deep on the why on this. Yeah. I think that's also where I would say find the thing that resonates for you yeah. and kind of go, maybe go deeper on that. So it might not be transparency or some right. of these things for, for other people. Um, I feel lucky in some ways that I found this thing that I, I do feel like I have this internal compass on. And I feel very strongly about, and yeah. um, it's, it's, it's not been easy, and it's come with sacrifices, I think, along the way. And I've had a few people tell me that and say, wow, I don't know if I could have 
stuck to it through that or, you know, made that decision or, you know, we bought out our investors recently. We <laughs> turned down big acquisition offers and a lot of it's been related to these things we've been talking about. Um, but I think it's that's one of the things that makes the company special, I feel yeah. like. And it's one thing that's maybe, you know, a useful thing to do once in a while that yeah. I ended up doing is once in a while just reflect on the trajectory you're on right now. If you follow that through a year or two years, like, do you want to be part of that thing? Like, mm. that's still exciting to you? Yes. And I, I did that a few years ago, and I wasn't too excited about I, I, I felt like I could wake up one day and not feel so excited about being part of the company with that trajectory it was on. Um, I think that's a really useful exercise and just helps you maybe to determine what are those things that you feel strongly about. And that's why I think it's worthwhile finding your own path. And even if your own path happens to align with the, the path that yes. is traditional out there or whatever it might be yeah that's great if it's the one that you feel you know aligns for you as well um but i think that's the thing that i've tried to you know step away reflect on and spend time um, thinking about and just feeling really comfortable and happy and confident with this is the direction um, i want to take things absolutely that is so encouraging joel to hear and to your point it only comes with with time and with with stepping away so yeah yeah, thank yeah. you. And, yeah. and speaking of time, thank you so much for your time on, uh, on having this conversation. There's so much that that I learned. I know I'm going to rewatch this back. I'm sure you take a bunch of notes, and I know for everyone who's watching as well, they learned a lot too. So thank you so much for awesome. being here, Joel. Yeah, thanks so much, Claire. It's been a lot of fun to chat.